Hey, hey, it's the Productize Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thank you for tuning in today. You're going to hear my conversation with Brandon Pierce. He is running a couple different things. First of all, he's the founder of musicteachershelper.com, and that is a SaaS, a software as a service, uh, niched, niched, niched down. I hate that word. <laughs> niched down into the music teaching space. And what's interesting is that he's been running that for over 14 years. He built it up. He basically automated it. He's got a team in place and he's completely removed himself or mostly removed himself from the day to day. And that allowed him and his family to travel the world full time. And he's very much running the location independent lifestyle. And him and his wife and his family have really dove into that whole world and built a whole community around that. And that's what they publish and write about and run conferences and events over on pierceonearth.com and a couple of other websites, which we'll, we'll talk all about. So yeah, it's just really interesting talking about that whole location independence thing, something that I'm you know, forever interested in and fascinated by. And I know that a lot of uh, founders and online business owners like us, um, we do have that option at our you know, available to us. And and I know that my wife and I have dabbled in it before. So, you know, it's a really interesting topic to dive into to see how you might be able to run your business and grow with your family in that sort of way. So I dove into that with Brandon. And of course, we talked all about how he built up his SaaS and automated it. So yeah, we're going to cover all of that. Here you go. Here is my conversation with Brandon Pierce. Enjoy. All right. I'm here with Brandon Pierce. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. And, you know, one of the first questions I just asked you before we got on the air here was, you know, where in the world are you based? Because I know you you and your family are digital nomads kind of running your business from everywhere. So, so yeah, why don't you tell us again, where, where are you based? Yeah. Right now I'm in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, which is a beautiful mountain town. It's a small city, about three or four hours north of Mexico City. Beautiful cobblestone streets and colorful houses and wonderful culture and community here. Awesome. Well, we're definitely going to dive much more into the traveling stuff, how you've been able to run your business you know, from the road, but it, it seems like you've actually built a business or, or you're just doing a lot of things related to location independence. So we're definitely going to spend a good chunk of this interview talking about that. But first, let's talk about your main business and kind of get some of the backstory there. So I mean, you know, before we start off, why don't you just tell us how do you describe your business or the overall landscape of everything that you're focused on right now? Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, my focus is pretty wide right now. I still have you know, my main SaaS business, which I created about 14 years ago. It's called Music Teachers Helper. And it's a website I created to help music teachers keep track of the business side of teaching lessons. So it handles scheduling and billing, online payments, invoicing, everything related to running the business side that's not necessarily teaching. So that's kind of still the main, you know, income source for the family. But now we have a lot of other projects uh, we've got going on. We're holding an annual event for families interested in long-term travel and location independence, alternative education, entrepreneurship, all of these topics. And it's so much fun to do this. So much work, but so much fun. This year, it actually is going to be here in San Miguel, Day and Day, Mexico, over Day of the Dead, October 29th to November 4th. And then we have a retreat we're running in Romania on a similar topic, but a little bit deeper, three weeks and just for 10 families. And Family Adventure Summit, we're having like 400 people this year. So it's uh, just our second year, but still growing. Oh, awesome. Uh, so anyway, a whole bunch of different stuff. I could go on and on about the different uh, different things I have, but that's kind of the general summary. Cool. Yeah. So I'm curious to kind of just go back in the story and hear how all this you know, came together and how you came to be doing what you're doing today. So 
yeah, I mean, like, why don't we start there? Like, where, where are you from originally? Yeah, I'm born in Salt Lake City, Utah, and pretty much lived there my whole childhood. Uh, my wife grew up a little bit in Washington as well. And it was around 2003 when I was just working in a call center doing internet tech support and going to school in the evenings to study computer programming. Uh, I've been programming since I was a kid, but I was really planning on doing that as a career. This was going to be my job. You know, I wanted to be a programmer. But I was also teaching piano lessons on the side because I loved music. I enjoyed piano. So on the weekends, I had a small studio of like 10 students that would come or I would go to their houses and I'd teach them lessons. And it was around this time when I thought, why don't I just create um, a little program for myself to help me keep track of my students better? Because there were times when they would come to their lessons and ask me questions like how much they owe for lessons. And it would take me a while to calculate it. And it was kind of a pain. And I, I, can, I can be more efficient than this. So I, I'll just make this quick little app to help me keep track of how much the students need to pay. You know, I'm curious because, I mean, I'm, I'm a musician as well. And I grew up uh, here and there. I gave some music lessons, but that wasn't a, a big focus for me. I was more into just creating, writing music, getting into bands, and then eventually got into composing music for picture and, and stuff like that. And I thought that that was going to be my career path was music. I mean, was that for you too? Or music was always just kind of like a side thing, hobby and the software programming was your main focus? You know, I, I had a real dilemma earlier in my, oh, I guess my late teens, and I was really trying to decide what career I wanted to go into because I loved music. My dad was a music teacher at a public school. It's kind of where I wanted to go. I, in fact, my grandpa was also a music teacher. So it was kind of this, uh, this family legacy a uh, thing I wanted to do. In the blood. Yeah, it was in the blood. Uh, I loved it. But I also loved computers. And of course, that wasn't around when my parents and my grandparents were kids. So I spent a lot of time tinkering with computers as a kid. I used to build them and do a little programming and things like that. So I had to make a decision at one point to well, want to go into music. Do I want to go into computers? And my mom gave me a, a piece of advice during that period where she said, it's easier to support a musician's hobby on a computer programmer's salary than it is to support a computer hobby on a musician's salary. And so I thought, well, <laughs> I love them both. But yeah, financially speaking, I, I mean, we didn't have a ton of money growing up. And so I thought it would be a little, little easier to survive and live and enjoy both of these loves if I were to go into computers. So that's the direction I started moving toward. That's a really interesting and smart way to put it. I feel like I learned that lesson the hard way once I got into my 20s and realized there, there are no paying jobs in the music industry. And, <laughs> and that's when I fell back on the like, design and software stuff and made a career in that. But So that's interesting. So, so you, were, you were giving piano lessons on the side. And, and this was like, what, 14 years ago when you came across the idea of building a, a simple app? Yeah, it was like 2003 when I think I first began creating it for myself. So, I mean, back then, I mean, that's, um, I don't want to say that's like the early days of the, of the internet. I know, <laughs> I know it went back a bit <laughs> further than that, but in terms of apps and software as a service, like what, was it a, a SaaS, like software as a service early on? Or, cause I know that at that time, SaaS was not very popular as a model. Yeah, it was very new. So, and as I mentioned, I, I created it for myself first. Like I didn't have any intention to turn this into a business. I was just playing around and trying to be more efficient for me. But yeah, it was around 2004 when I realized, you know, there are other teachers who could probably benefit from this too. And I had expanded it quite a bit since I initially wrote it and now students could log in and they could pay online with a credit card and a whole bunch of things were a little simpler. And I thought this could be really useful. So yeah, I decided to put it out there as a SaaS business initially, kind of, I, you know, Basecamp was my, was my inspiration there as far as the pricing models and how they were set up, you know, one of, one of the more popular SaaS businesses at the time. So that's, yeah, that's how I launched it. 
Okay, so music teacher's helper, like what does it actually do? Is it, my understanding is it kind of handles invoicing and scheduling and kind of basic things that most of us who work on the web can piece together, but you really positioned it specifically in in the music teacher's market and really niched it down. Like, is that an understanding or does it have like more, like what are kind of like the key features that music teachers use it for? So, well, first of all, yeah, I mean, every music teacher typically has their own system for keeping track of this stuff. They might use an Excel spreadsheet for keeping track of their students. They might use QuickBooks or Quicken or something like that for uh, their finances. They might use Google Calendar for their schedules. They might have other types of spreadsheets and paper things around for tracking like lent item, when they lend books to their students or the repertoire the students are working on. A whole bunch of different music-related things or the practicing that the students do. So for me, I thought it would be great then eventually for other teachers to combine all of that into one piece of software. So teachers will log in, they put in their students, they put in their schedules, they set it, the software will automatically send the invoices, the students can log in to check their schedules, pay for the lessons. So those are kind of, you know, the standard features, but then there are some music teacher specific things I mentioned, like a lending library and a repertoire tracker, practice log, mileage tracker, things like that for the teachers who drive. Uh, And as well as like income and expense reports to help with tax time and to help teachers kind of get an overall view of the growth of their studio in different ways. So it's a fairly comprehensive system. I mean, they could do similar things if it was pieced together, but it would take more time and it would be more cumbersome. And this is kind of an all-in-one solution that makes it a lot easier to manage your studio. I love that idea. I mean, like going into a a really narrow niche and then making it a pretty broad tool. I mean, I think there's, you know, a lot of people say like, you know, you should really focus in on doing one feature, one thing really well. But I think when you go into such a tight niche, you you have an opportunity to cover a lot of those bases and make it easier for a music teacher or or whoever to, you know, get it all done in, in one spot. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think it's really helpful that way. And I mean, there is something to be said for simple tools, but in this case, I mean, that's the need that I saw, right? We already had simple tools that could do those things to a degree on their own, but nothing that did them all together. Cool. So what is this other site, the Studio Helper? Was that like a spinoff from this? or It is, yeah. As we grew, a lot of the teachers who were using Music Teachers Helper started to grow their studios to the point where they wanted to hire other teachers to help them teach their students. So they essentially became music schools. And so we created another piece of software that was geared toward larger studios and schools with multiple teachers. And we also made it more general. So it works not just with music, but yoga, dance, art, martial arts, any kind of place where you have multiple teachers, multiple students learning on a a basis. That's an interesting transition. Like, I guess you could have just built the ability for music teachers helper to handle multiple teachers, right? But you spun this into studio helper and it's also a different strategy. Like it's a little bit more broad. It's not just music teachers, it's other types of studios. Like how did that transition go? Like from being able to get traction from it and marketing and building the new product? To be honest, like everything grew very slowly because I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) I was a brand new entrepreneur. I had to do everything myself in the early days. I had no funding for this. It was just all bootstrapped. So everything was super slow. As we grew, though, yeah, to the point where I could start hiring out people, quit my job, etc. And we had some funds to build Studio Helper, so I didn't have to do that completely by myself. And as for the marketing and getting it out there, yeah, I mean, it's a different market, right? It's, these aren't just independent music teachers. It's, it's much more broad. Budgets are typically higher and expectations are typically higher as well. So we had to learn a little, a little bit different way to position ourselves and to market it. Yeah. So how did you approach marketing and getting the initial customers for Music Teachers Helper and then kind of marketing and growth over the years? 
Yeah, initially, man, I think Think AdWords was around back then. I can't even remember if I used it at all, though, at that point. But um, I tried things like, you know, I printed up flyers and hung them in music stores oh, yeah. <laughs> locally and, you know, told the people I knew about it, you know, just word of mouth, who I thought might be interested in it. Eventually, we started going to music teacher conferences. There's a, an organization called the Music Teachers National Association. They have uh, tens of thousands of teachers, I believe, around the country. And they have national and state and various different conferences you can go to, get a booth and market the product there. So we started doing that. And had some success with that, even though it was quite expensive, it did start spreading the word about the product. And, you know, then over the years, we've tried everything from article marketing and pay-per-click ads to a blog. We have a blog we still write on several times per month, um, articles related to the industry. And yeah, and then we still go to conferences and, uh, you know, just, just kind of the general marketing efforts. Yeah. And I'm sure this this many years in, there's a lot of uh, like word of mouth from customers. Well, that's always been our biggest source of new customers is word of mouth. Teachers will tell each other and they find us that way. So that's still our number one source. Is there any um, like public link or anything like that, like on a music teacher's website or on their calendar or something that would say like powered by, you know, music teacher's help or something like that? Yeah, I should have mentioned this. Along with our software, we also provide teachers a free website, or I guess it's not free if they're paying for the service, but uh, it's a website that is, it's not using WordPress or anything that didn't even exist. I don't think back in the day, but there's several templates they can choose from and they can customize the content and things like that. So, and at the bottom of that one, it does say powered by music teacher software. So that in a way is marketing as well. Got it. So, I mean, as we mentioned earlier, obviously today you guys are traveling and I do want to dive into all that. But I guess the transition into that is like, how have you been able to really scale up and remove yourself from the day-to-day of running Music Teachers Helper? Like, what does your team look like on that? And actually, if I could just ask multiple questions all at once Mm -hmm. here, like, can you give us any sort of like sense of size, whether it's revenue or customers or anything like that, whatever you're comfortable sharing? Yep. Yeah. We're we're currently earning in the high six figures and have several thousand customers. And our team is around 15 people. So that is, you know, where we're at currently. When we started, of course, for the first several years, it was just me working like a full-time job. I was a programmer. I did end up getting a programming job after I quit the call center and eventually quit that job and then started hiring people, hiring programmers, hiring support. And just over time, over years of like 40 to 70 hour work weeks, it got to the point where I was able to offload pretty much everything. And yeah, for the past man, almost eight or nine years, I guess, I've been basically living the four-hour work week. In most cases, literally living the four-hour work week with this business. Yeah. So just so I understand, like, so you have a team of 15 people and that's kind of split between developers and customer support? Well, I have currently a CFO, finance guy from the UK. I've got a marketing director in California, support customer support director in Texas. And then we have, oh, and a product manager in Utah. And the rest are support reps and programmers, mostly in the Philippines and Eastern Europe. Very nice. And so you mentioned like the four-hour work week. How much of your time like today is actually spent in that business, whether it's answering questions from the team or thinking about the product or anything like that? It is typically under four hours a week, usually between two to four. And my responsibilities at this point are mostly just kind of (laughs) reading the suggestions from my team and saying yes or no, or providing additional ideas if we want to go in a certain direction or whatever. So that's yeah, that's kind of how it works at this point. Beautiful. Um, I'm also curious like, about SaaS companies that have been established and for this long. I mean, have you come to a point where you know, the product is basically like feature complete or is your team constantly you know, developing new features and really growing it? Yeah, constantly developing new features. And this is one misconception that I think a lot of people have about SaaS businesses and that I know I certainly had 
is that you reach a point where you write the whole thing and then you're done. But because technology keeps changing, because markets keep changing, we've had a few competitors come onto the scene since we started. I mean, it's essential to continue updating and improving the software to be competitive. At least, I guess I could speak just for this industry, but it's essential. And I mean, we, we're right now actually working on a complete rewrite of the software, which is very expensive, but doing that from scratch because it needs it. A lot of the code has gotten old and there are a lot of new features we really want to offer our customers that don't exist anywhere yet, but that would be a lot harder to do with the current framework and the current code base. So yeah, yeah, a lot of work still to do. You know, I'm, I'm curious about you personally, how much of your just personal energy and creativity is still going into Music Teachers Helper? Because I know that you're really diving full force into the, you know, location independent stuff and, and everything there. Like, because I'm, I'm like this too. Like I, I'm running multiple projects and, and multiple businesses and things. And I flip back and forth throughout the year of like what I'm really energized about and what I want to push on. It's like, yeah. I mean, with Music Teachers Helper, like that's been going for 14 years. You've got a team in place. Are you just kind of checking in and letting them run with it? Or are you really driving like things like that rewrite? Yeah, you know, it's I go in phases and cycles like you do. So yeah, most of the time it's just checking in. But every once in a while, like maybe a couple of weeks a year or less or whatever, I will just get this wave of inspiration and I will dive in. I will just have all these ideas and write everything down. And then that kind of fuels things for the next next couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's kind of how I work with Music Teacher Software these days. Very cool. All right. So let's talk about Pierce on Earth. <laughs> I love that uh, that domain. <laughs> Thank you. That's pierceonearth.com. I mean, is that basically like your main personal blog or your family's site there? Yeah, we started this website back when we started traveling. So we sold our house back in 2009 and decided to go travel full time. So we created this blog just as a way for us to keep in touch with family and friends back home and share our journey and also to provide kind of a memory log for us to look back on our adventures. So yeah, we've we've blogged about everything. It started up mostly travel and just kind of our thoughts, but over the years, it's gone into entrepreneurship, all the transformations and different things we've experienced through our travels, the way we educate our kids, a lot of different topics that we cover on there and we still do right on it. So Awesome. And so can you tell us about your kids? Like how old? Yeah, my oldest is 14 and I have three daughters. So 14, 12 and six currently. Uh, when we started traveling, they were five and three. And then we had our, our third daughter in Costa Rica when we were living there. Wow, that's great. So yeah, I mean, back in um, 2015, my wife and I took our one-year-old and we were pregnant with our second child, our second daughter. And we did like a mini version of this. Like we we traveled around for about seven months, different Airbnbs across the US. And we still take trips all over, you know, two or three times a year now, but we decided to have the home base here in Connecticut. We're close to family and everything. So I'm, I'm curious. So you had kids and you were raising them in Utah for those first couple of years before 2009? That's right. Yeah. So what led up to that decision to start traveling? Yeah, there were quite a few things that led up to it. First of all, we had this business. And after I quit my job and started just working on it from home, I realized, well, why are we staying around Utah when we could do this from anywhere in the world? Because frankly, we were feeling pulled in so many directions in that community, in that environment, where it felt like we were just stagnating in our growth. So we could see if we stayed there. I mean, I think it's awesome how you took the opportunity to give your kids the chance to explore and, and as a family to do that for seven months. I mean, that's a huge gift. And then to travel several times a year. For us, you know, we hadn't ever taken a trip like that. And we were just looking at the future of our lives and the trajectory of where we would be if we kept staying there with the same people doing the same things. 
And it, it didn't excite us. It just felt like that would lead to more stagnation and, you know, maybe greater financial wealth, but not any greater fulfillment in life. So we thought we need to change something up. And we started just by taking a six-week trip to Panama. And that was kind of a just a, a test to see, you know, how, how well we would do being together 24-7. And it ended up being so bonding as a family that we came back and we're like, we have to keep doing this. This feels so good. And, you know, another thing happened around this time where my wife's mother passed away from cancer. And it just kind of woke us up to the fact that life can be really short. And, you know, we had these dreams. We'd, we'd always wanted to travel. We'd always wanted to see different places and experience things and expand our minds with the new ideas that are out there in the world. But realizing that, you know, you never know when you're going to go. So why don't we take the opportunity now to experience this rather than waiting until some future date? So that's when we started making plans for doing this on a, on a long-term basis. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember when we decided to take the longer trip in 2015, my wife had just recently left her job, which was local here in Connecticut. And it was like within one month of that happening, we were like, wait a minute, why are we here? <laughs> like, we don't have to be here right now, you know, and especially since our daughter was so young and, and not in school yet. And now we have two and they're still not in school. So we could kind of travel with them as much as we want. Uh, so I'm curious about that, like with kids and with schooling, like, how does that work for you guys? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different ways that families do that. And I should clarify, I mean, when we started, we didn't know anybody else who was traveling like this on a long-term basis. Over time, we met several families. And now, now it's, it's a huge movement. Now it's going from kind of a subculture into a movement. There are thousands of families out there right now traveling and doing this, being made possible through technology and such. And especially in, in these circles of people who are running software businesses and things. Yes, exactly. So when we started, we as far as school goes, we tried to homeschool, right? Uh, just following the curriculum that the school would be teaching, the local public school, and found that wasn't really working too well for our family. The kids weren't that engaged. I don't know if they'd be that much more engaged if they were sitting in a classroom either, but we decided we wanted to try something different. So before 2009, like, were you homeschooling then in Utah or were they in the public? No. Well, our kids were young enough. They were just in preschool. So okay. we didn't really have anything more formal than that. But over time, we have kind of evolved our or devolved our education, uh, educational philosophy into more interest-led learning. So rather than following a specific curriculum, our kids pursue the things that they're most passionate about in life. And we as parents facilitate and provide resources and encouragement for that. So for example, our oldest loves singing and songwriting. And so she was working with a professional singer-songwriter in LA over Skype every week. And then she really got into animation. And so now she just finished a 5,700 frame animation as a music video to one of the songs that she wrote. Really beautiful piece of art. It took her over a year to animate this hand-drawn each frame. And then, and now she's really excited about a career in animation or maybe even starting her own animation studio because she loves the whole process from the music and the storytelling and everything like that. So, I mean, she still gets math in, you know, when she has a need for it in different ways. She's learning some algebra now from different various websites. And she, of course, we get history through some of the travels we do and through reading as a family at night, certain books, uh, like Story of the World's been a good one for that. But, you know, and they also have had a chance to go to a few schools in some of the places we've been. Uh, but so I just want to say that um, this is kind of how our educational philosophy is turned into with our kids. But a lot of the families who travel have various ways that they do it. Some will plop down in one location for a year or more, and the kids will go to a local school or an international school there, which is a great way to get an immersive uh, language experience. 
Others will follow a homeschool curriculum and they'll sit down with the books for several hours a day and do work as a family like that. Others will enroll in online schools. So the kids will actually be interacting with the teacher and, and the rest of the students online in a classroom form through the internet. Others will just ha have a more unschooling approach where there's no curriculum and kind of like what we do, but just very flexible in what the kids learn about and just kind of fueled by the environment and what is needed and what's necessary and what's interesting at the time. Yeah, it's amazing. Cool. So how about like some of the, the logistics? I know these questions always come up, you know, in these sorts of conversations. So like, you know, for your family, like how long do you typically stay in each location? Yeah, this has varied a lot over time as well. So when we first started, we were in Costa Rica for a year and a half as a home base. And of course, when we're in a place like that, we have visa situations to comply with. So every 90 days we have to leave. So we would take regular extended or sometimes not extended uh, forced vacations to surrounding countries. So during that time, we went to Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru for two and a half months. So sometimes I really value what you said earlier about having a home base. We really love having a home base. It's very difficult for us to go from place to place to place to place to place for a few days or a few weeks at a time without ever coming back or resting. It's exhausting to do that. Yeah. I mean, one thing I remember from that year when we did it was, again, we were just kind of dipping our toes in the, in the water for like seven months there. But I mean, first of all, we got really good and like really efficient at like packing and unpacking, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and like, and we had a dog with us and we had a, a, wow. a one-year-old. It, it was pretty hectic, but we, we really enjoyed it. And, and now when we travel, we just like, we get up and go, we come back. We're like super efficient about it. That's awesome. Yeah. What I also found, this gets back to like logistics, like how do you plan it? It was like, so we, we were booking Airbnbs and some house rentals and whatnot. And I found that like we couldn't just be spontaneous and be like, oh, you know what? We're, we're done with this place. We want to move on tomorrow, you know, to find a, a good Airbnb and in, in a place where you want to go. Like you kind of have to plan it a month or two out. Otherwise things are all booked up and whatnot. And, and if you want to change your plans, you have to, you know, change those bookings. Like how do you deal with that sort of stuff? Yeah. And it really depends on where in the world you are and the time of year, like trying to do that in Europe in the summer. Yeah. You have to book months in advance. When we went on our trip to Vietnam, we were there for several weeks and there were, were plenty of opportunities. And we, you also have to have a certain degree of flexibility and non-pickiness, right? So we were fine staying in cheaper hotels or whatever during that trip rather than nicer, you know, vacation rentals. But yeah, we were able to just hop in and we would go to a place we're like, you know, we don't really like it here. Let's go on to the next place. Oh, let's stay here longer. And you know, or, or if we're not happy with a hotel, we'll go and find a different one or hunt around before we book in person. So that opportunity does exist, but I also find the logistical planning of it quite time consuming. I now have an assistant who helps with a lot of that. And she's currently booking a lot of stuff in Europe for us this year, this summer. But most of our travels now are really based around the projects we've got going. So We'll be leaving for Bali in a month, and then we're going to be hiking the Camino de Santiago in Spain, at least the last, last couple of weeks of it, um, then visiting Portugal and Budapest. We're running a retreat in Romania, and then we're going to be spending another month somewhere else in Europe trying to scope out future locations for the Family Adventure Summit. Awesome. It'll be not as long in one place as we really, I think, would prefer, but we want to be checking out a few spots for some of the projects we've got going on. So that's kind of what's fueling our travels this year. Yeah. So I definitely want to ask all about these events and things that you're planning out. But, you know, another question that I know comes up a lot, it, it came up for us personally, because we, we thought about, you know, traveling for a longer period of time than we did, is that question of not only just having a home base, but also just like friends and family and having those long-term relationships. Like, how do you guys think about that kind of stuff? I mean, for yourselves or you and your wife and your kids? Like, Yeah, it's a really good question. So, and that's really the main reason that we decided to buy a house here in San Miguel de Allende 
and kind of settle down here. We've been here for six months. We're going to be coming back in September for another six months it, because the community here is just fantastic. We have so many wonderful friends. Many of them are living here either permanently or they come and go like us. But when we overlap for several months, it is so fulfilling to be able to enjoy time with them. I felt like when we were back in Utah, and maybe it would be different if we were to go back now, but most of our relationships felt, um, I guess, less deep in a way. And maybe it was because we were kind of in a shift or changing ourselves. And also time. Everyone was so busy that we could maybe get together for a meal here and there. But now, as, as we're on the road, we meet with people who are like us. They're entrepreneurs or they're just more flexible with their schedule. And so we have a five-hour dinner together one night. And then a couple of days later, we go out to explore this beautiful area nearby or, or whatever. Or we decide like we did uh, last year or a couple of years ago now to just do like a two-week road trip around Southern New Zealand with two other families who we get along really well with. So our kids have that daily interaction uh, with their friends. We have adult conversation and we can really develop strong and deep relationships with people who really get us and do that very quickly. So I don't think that it takes years and years of living in the same location to develop uh, deep and meaningful relationships. I will also say that I've really appreciated um, with family, it's, you know, harder to, we don't see them as much, right? When we're, when we're on the road, we do go back to Utah occasionally and visit, but they have also come out to visit us in a few places and they'll stay a week or two. And we'll have that same experience, which is so much more connecting again. And we're having new experiences together rather than just hashing out, you know, superficial conversation over dinner one night a month or whatever, when we, like it was when we lived there. So it's, it's been interesting. Now for our kids, it is a major challenge still because we do develop these great friendships. And then after a few months, we have to say goodbye, right? Yeah. Or goodbye for a little while. And that's really hard. We just had some really good friends who left San Miguel. We'll see them again in October, but there were major tears <laughs> from our kids during that time. It was really sad. But I also realized that even when you're living in the suburbs in, in America, you have people who move away and uh, you have to learn to say goodbye. So Yeah. And the world is so flat now, especially for kids too, with mobile devices and staying in touch and, and all that. So, you know, I, I totally relate to that too. I mean, living here in, you know, suburbs <laughs> in Connecticut, it's true. Like it's almost like a lot of the local friendships are just out of convenience or vicinity. And it's not, I find, especially as a, as an entrepreneur and I work from home and my wife doesn't work anymore and our hours and, and work schedules are totally flexible, even though we live here, it's, it's hard to find many people who live around here who really relate to that. And, and all of my closest friends these days are other entrepreneurs who work online and I, I meet up with them at conferences and places a few times per year, but they're not local, you know, and I, and I'm talking to them on zoom calls and stuff. So yes, it's interesting. Yeah. Interesting world where how it's changing that way. Yep. So yeah, tell me about these events that you're putting on and like when was like the first one that, that you've done? Yeah. So the first event was the Family Adventure Summit. Last year, we held it in Penticton, British Columbia, Canada. And the idea really came for this because my wife and I were speaking at a few events a couple of years ago and we were telling a friend about it. And they said, are these family travel conferences? And Jen and I look at each other and we're like, no, there is no, there are no family travel conferences like what we're imagining. And so we thought we got to create one. And so we worked for a whole year to put that on. And now we're doing our second year. Uh, they are so amazing because so fulfilling for me personally, I should say, because the people who come are, in my opinion, the cream of the crop. They are people who are on fire with living life, with purpose and intention and adventure. And they're creative in their approach. They're not afraid. 
it's amazing to just be surrounded by such inspiring people. So that is a big highlight for me. And of course, the topics that we cover are things that are you know, really interesting to me. And I think, you know, to people in this community from, which I mentioned before, whether it's entrepreneurship or long-term travel, how to do it affordably or, you know, different places to go. Education, how to handle education on the road, just those types of questions you answered. We're actually having, in addition to the main event, which we'll have keynotes and roundtables and workshops and discussions and such, uh, as well as an epic kids program with like 40 different activities and uh, educational games and things for them to choose from. But we'll have before and after the conference, some all day deep dive academies, we're calling them, which are like six to eight hours a day of really going deep into a topic like how to create an online business or what are the different ways you can handle education on the road? How does it look? How how can you map that out clear through college and really prepare your kids well educationally? You know, different things like that or how to to travel affordably. The, The family who's leading the one on how to travel affordably, they have been traveling for the past six years with their two children. They're now teenagers. And they're doing it on a budget of $25,000 a year to 40 countries they've been to so far. It's just amazing how affordably you can travel and still have an amazing experience when you know the tricks. Oh, that's incredible. So I, I have several friends who have done this or, or are doing this, but all of my friends are, are entrepreneurs. So I'm wondering like, how much of this community are entrepreneurs, at least one or, or both of the parents running online location independent businesses? Or are there other types of careers that people are doing that allow them to do this? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So we've done uh, some surveys around how families fund their travels when they're doing it long-term like this. And over 50% had an online business of some sort, whether it was a service business, a product business. So that is definitely the biggest one. But the next biggest was actually just people who have a job that they can do online. So they work for a regular company, but it's a company that now allows them to work remotely. So that's also a big one. A lot of people are also freelancers or they do consulting or coaching of some kind. Others are investors. They have real estate properties. Maybe they have a couple of houses they rent out on Airbnb and that pays for their whole lifestyle. So there's various ways. And what about like age groups? Again, like the families that I know are similar to like yours and, and mine, where like, you know, young kids kind of growing up. Do you see mostly that group or, or older families or older couples? Yeah, we've got quite the range. So this year at Family Venture Summit, uh, as I mentioned, we're expecting 400 people. That means roughly 200 kids. <laughs> and a really good portion of them are teens. So I can't remember the number. I think already we have over 30 or 40 registered uh, teens. And we have a, a teen leadership program as well that we're offering and giving the teens a chance to volunteer at the event and help out in different ways if they want to. So uh, good experiences there for them. But we also have kids... Yeah, clear down from, from zero to, I mean, every age, it's really every age. And the, the adults are anything from 20s to 50s and 60s. We're actually having some grandparents come as well this year to, for the intergenerational aspect. And it's quite a good mix, really. Cool. So, you know, we're starting to wrap up here. I'm just curious about how are you spending most of your time day to day? I'm sure planning and, and running these conferences, that's basically a full-time job while, during those months. But you know, where, where are you putting most of your time day to day? Yeah, well, it is. Right now, a lot of it is based around these events because Family Adventure Summit does take a lot of time and we've, we've got a great team, uh, but we're always, I, I just love the innovation aspect of it. I love the service aspect of it and trying to find ways to make it more epic and, and interesting. So like this year, we're trying something new where in addition to bringing in some really cool performers and stuff like that, we're also having one day of the conference where we are giving families an opportunity to go out and explore the town and some of the different tour. So we're working with several different tour companies now, trying to offer discounts for free 
uh, free tours to go explore the hot springs or the botanic gardens or the arts, artisan markets or different things like that, or go horseback riding or whatever. So that takes a lot of time. And I'm trying to find uh, more people. And I think for the next year, I'll probably bring someone on to help with this aspect of it. But uh, we're also, for example, we just decided to create a foundation as well. So we're donating 100% of the profits from this summit to back to the community and to the families in the communities that we're doing the summit. So lots of logistics, lots of things to think about there, but it's, it's fun and it's a passion project. So I'm spending a lot of time on that. The retreat itself that we're doing in Romania, that's the first year we're doing it. So I think that's even more time consuming in some ways because we're still developing the program and it's a three week retreat. So we're going really in depth with just 10 families on these topics and really making it a transformational experience more than just logistics, but really about how to connect uh, deeper as a family and create the kind of life you want as a family that enables everyone's needs to be met. So my life is kind of consumed by these things, but it's so much fun. Uh, there's also, of course, taking kids to our, their classes that they have here. They're in horseback riding and gymnastics and art classes and, and drama and things like that. And then I still spend a little bit of time working on some online courses and preparing for different things. And then a little bit on Music Teacher's Helper. Got it. Yeah. So kind of splitting things up there. Like, are, are you actively, I mean, I assume you're, you're actively growing an audience around this location and independence thing and to get like people to sign up for the events, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely growing. I feel really grateful to be a part of this movement because it has had such an effect on my family's life. And I know a lot of the families who have come. So yeah, we're, we're definitely looking for more and more people. We have capped it this year at 400 because we don't want to compromise on the quality of the experience and the intimacy of it. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Very nice. Well, thanks so much for, uh, for doing this. I think you have a really interesting story and, and you're working on a lot of uh, really exciting projects and things. So you know, we'll definitely be following along. So yeah, thanks, Brandon. And obviously, we'll get everything linked up in the show notes. Um, your main blog there is pierceonearth.com. And there's musicteachershelper.com, studiohelper.com. Anywhere else people can uh, connect with you? Yeah, and pierceonearth.com is spelled P-E-A-R-C-E. We also, our retreat is at homeintheworldretreat.com. The Family Adventure Summit is, of course, familyadventuresummit.com. Uh, we're also working on a documentary, which I didn't mention. Um, oh, that's right. I just saw that, that link here. Yeah, yeah intothewindfilm.com. It's, it's a documentary about the movement of families choosing to live more intentionally and adventurously through long-term travel. So very excited about. Well, I got to ask you about that now. So. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> just, just real quick. Like, uh, yeah, tell me, tell me about that. Like, how is that coming together? When is it coming out? Yeah, so this has been so much fun. So we're following the story of six families uh, through different stages of, of their journeys and the different experiences they're having, the challenges they're having, and really trying to bring out their stories as well as how this movement is growing and what technology and the world we live in has made possible for being able to choose the kind of life you want to live and to live it. So this film, uh, we're currently in the production phase. So uh, on our team is a former producer for National Geographic, as well as a production house in the UK. And then the to actually the family we're running the retreat with is also uh, the, called the Capanese. We're working on them as well with is on the team with the production. So we're hoping to have all the filming done by next November or so, by the end of next year. So it'll probably come out 2020 or 2000, uh, end of this year, I mean. So it'll probably come out 2000. 20 in the spring. Oh, sorry, 2019. Sorry. <laughs> I got my dates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So definitely a, a long time. So do you have like uh, different production crews following different families simultaneously? Is that how this works? No, we've got one, one production crew, but we have scheduled several different shoots with different families in the different places they'll be in the world. Got it. And then how do you plan to, like, how does one even launch a movie? Like, how do you plan to, to release this? And, and <laughs> 
Well, we're still figuring some of that out. Uh, we're not to that phase yet. But as I mentioned, the, the woman who is a former producer from National Geographic was also working with the Sundance Film Festival, and she has a lot of connections there. And we'll reach out to several networks. We'll probably try to see if we can get you know some, some kind of distribution through a bigger place. Uh, otherwise, we'll just do grassroots and figure something out. But this is all self-funded as well, so we're not really at this point doing a, a crowdfunding or anything like that. But we'll, we'd love to just take the messages as far as we can. Yeah, so there's a pretty cool trailer over at IntoTheWindFilm.com. We'll get all of these things linked up in the show notes. So, uh, so yeah, Brandon, awesome. This is this has been great. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. It's been fun. All right. Okay, that wraps it up. Did you enjoy this one? I mean, it couldn't have been that bad. You made it this far into the episode, right? So head over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you're not on my newsletter yet, there's a lot more happening over there. And so you'll definitely want to get up to speed. You can join over on my site, castjam.com. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.